0: Hello. The closer you get to a black hole in space, the more that distant events seem to accelerate, happening faster and faster until they all appear to be taking place at the same time, collapsing on top of one another in a violation of causality. None of this matters to you, though, because you're being <laughs> torn to pieces by powerful forces you don't really understand, could never control, and should probably have left well alone. Hello, and welcome to another edition of <laughs> Romaniacs, a podcast about Brexit. I'm Andrew Harrison, and it is squeaky Brexit time. You, you join us towards the end of Theresa May's crucial 48 hours and God knows what things will be like by the time you hear this. We record at 2 o'clock on Wednesday, so if the wheels come off at the EU summit tonight, we may well be meeting in a car park for an emergency podcast before long. Whatever. As events in the (laughs) the Theresa May versus the ERG versus Brussels versus the DUP Infinity War spiral to some sort of a climax, possibly, we've got a no-guests week for the first time in ages. This means Ian Duncan swear as much as he likes without offending the guests. (laughs) Gathering to discuss this over a proper British pizza like the ERG, that's with cockles, beef (laughs) wellington and extra black pudding, are new. Nina Schick, political commentator, regular face on Bloomberg, Sky, BBC and CNBC, an expert on Russian disinformation and Brexit, which are not in any way related. Hello, Nina. How are you? Hi, Andrew. You've been on holiday. Were you tempted to not come back?
1: Well, I was, yeah, but I was in California. So then, I, you know, and then I thought about politics in the US and, you know, kind of, decided to come back after all <laughs> yes it's very
0: much frying pan fire type scenario nowhere to
1: go no <laughs> one to, no,
0: no, no to, no to hide for watching this stuff from the distance does it lend any kind of clarity because we're obviously we're basically in the tumble dryer that it's brexit and you're watching it from california
1: um when you're abroad you kind of realize that this national psychodrama hysteria as soon as you leave the country it's taken down a few notches i hmm. think the rest of the world is still baffled and doesn't really care much. So it's always quite funny when you re- read headlines when you're abroad about how the EU needs to do more. or This is the time when the EU is going to fold from British politicians. You're like, God, they really are so not in
0: line with the mood music or the reality. <laughs> yeah. Um, with your Russian dis- disinformation <clears throat> hat on, did you notice the story last, last week about uh, the woman who was supposedly splashing bleach into the groins of men who were manspreading on the the Russian metro, turned out to have been completely made up by, in the now, a Kremlin...
1: Absolutely. I think you cannot uh, take away the Russian kind of disinformation war, undermining of Western liberal democracies from Brexit, neither from the election of Donald Trump. It's quite clear what they're trying to do. They're trying to undermine the process of democracy. And I think it's pretty well documented right now that there was Russian involvement in the referendum campaign, just as there was Russian involvement in the election of Donald Trump just as there was Russian involvement across many European elections. And we'll continue to see that. We'll continue to see it amping up. And what they seek to do is um, divide the electorate. So push kind of those issues which people are going to be most divided on. So whether that's issues of femininity, whether that's issues of uh, identity politics, and in, in the case of Britain, Brexit.
0: Yes, we'll be returning to this uh, a little bit later, actually. Also here with us is Naomi Smith, Chief Operating Officer at Best for Britain, currently in the thick of finalising Saturday's People's Vote March. Hello, Naomi. Big week for you. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, are, good. Are you nerves?
2: Um, n- nerves are fine. I think it's going to be really big. Mm-hmm. Um, if we sort of take the numbers that we've got signed up today versus the numbers we had si- had signed up in June, and then the numbers that we know actually turned out in June. The extrapolation is looking really, really good for Saturday, so the weather's looking to be pretty good, because, you know, we are in late October now, so that was always going to be a bit of a risk, but it looks like it's going to be good, not uh, turning people away. Um, So don't hesitate about going, just go. If you're listening, go. Buses are being laid on from literally every town in the country, there really is no excuse. Um, And I guess what I really love listeners to do is to try and bring a person with them that would never normally do this kind of thing. Mm. Just double Mm. the numbers. Just bring one more person, and and we're absolutely there.
0: Uh, I noticed this week that uh, Daniel Hannan, the Lex Luther of Leave, has now come out for a people's vote. <laughs> what happened there? How can this be? And do we want him?
2: Well, he said in a tweet, "I have so far backed the negotiating position on the EU, but staying in the customs union would be the worst of all worlds. Any other outcome—No Deal, Canada, Norway, Switzerland—even a second referendum." would be preferable.
0: So we'll take that as a yes. We'll take that as signed up.
2: He is very welcome to come on the march for a People's Vote on Saturday. I'm sure we would have him. I'm not (laughs) sure that we would give him a platform, though. This is the man who said that Switzerland is successful, partly because, even though it's landlocked, it benefits from not being in the common fisheries policy. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we're taking too much advice from him. But he's very welcome to March. Yes, putting it
3: it. Switzerland is his preferred model, isn't it? So it actually, is. if he puts people's vote next to Switzerland, that is pretty much the highest recommendation that he can give it. Yeah. There yeah, we go.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, you heard him there. Also with us is Ian Dunst, editor of politics.co.uk. And a man who, after the events of this week, consists of 70% bite <laughs> at all, 20% grey market antidepressants <laughs> and 10% nicotine. Hello, Ian. Welcome back to the show. How are, you, how are your nerves uh, this uh, week? Uh, it's oh, all
3: getting okay. a bit real, isn't it? Really? Mm. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, with a lot of this, ultimately, I I I suspect it might be better for us if the deal was to come back sooner rather than later. Yeah. Or at least that would maximise the chances of MPs voting against it. So it, even though there's always this bit of sort of fear of seeing it really happening, it might in the long term actually be better if it comes i this side of Christmas. Mm. Yeah. Right,
0: this side of Christmas. Because we were promised October,
3: November, weren't we? Yeah, I, I suspect that she would... I, I don't know if she would go to this length. But I suspect that you would quite like, for instance, it to be hitting the commons in January when the markets had taken fright, when there was a decline in sterling and you can go, look at this shit over here. Is this shit what you want? Because if not, here's my deal on the table and that would maximise her chances. That's one of the theories that is out there. I don't necessarily sign up to it. But but it's not it's it's not incredible to, to think that it might be the case.
1: That That's kind of also what we saw in a leaked uh, report by Germany's Deutsche Zeitung a few days ago where they oh. kind of leaked the EU's internal mm. negotiating timeline. And according to that, the deal would be put to Parliament, just as Ian said, in January, February. And who knows what listeners are going to think about how out of date
2: we are, because uh, there was a tweet just before we came in the studio that EU and Britain are closer to a Brexit deal than might have been apparent from today's theatre. Uh, you know the rumour mill mm-hmm. is starting again that a deal could be imminent and for campaigners amongst us what we thought we might have four weeks to deliver on could could become two weeks yeah. at, at a moment's notice. Oh. I, think
3: it, I think it is in- increasingly likely so. that there'll be a, every time she starts talking like when she started talking yesterday it suddenly becomes a bigger part on Monday when Theresa May went to the Commons you suddenly think oh you're making it harder now and if, uh, making a statement to the Commons at all was a frankly insane thing for her to have done hmm. but when they're not talking you constantly look at the fundamental issues there and you think a, a deal is doable, if these really are the, the objections that you have, whether it is deliverable back in London is another matter entirely. But but it does, re- I, would be, I would be surprised if they don't come to some kind of arrangement.
1: Yeah, and I, just to corroborate on that, just been in Brussels, and certainly the mood there is that on the technical level, the technical part of the negotiations, they're done. So it's mm. more a question of uh, political agreement by Theresa May. So I don't think the... Essentially because the UK has kind of capitulated entirely to the EU's position. (laughs) So it's more a (laughs) question of how, as as we estimated might, you know, be the case, but it's a question of how is Theresa May going to sell this domestically?
0: Make it look not like a clown down. Right. Well, later on in the show, as well as our latest week from hell, we're going to be talking about the inexplicably slow police action on alleged cheating from the Leave campaign during the referendum. We're going to be wargaming a People's Vote campaign if Saturday's March or a vote in the Commons tips events towards a People's Vote. It won't be the end of the story. It'll be the beginning How should we fight the campaign, where should we concentrate our efforts, and what's most likely to tip the balance in favour of remaining in the EU? And we'll be looking at the latest in the no-deal Brexit notices and why losing your Netflix library when you're abroad will be the least of your worries. All that after a couple of reminders from Nina.
1: Romaniacs will of course be at the march for a People's Vote on Saturday 20th of October. If you want to come and march, a small representative group of the Romaniacs Central Committee will be gathering opposite the Dorchester on Park Lane. Membership of the Metropolitan League has its perks. (laughs) Come and say hello, bring your banners, and wear your Romaniacs T-shirts. And you can march under the official Romaniacs banner with the winning slogan, which is Fromage, not Farage. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, remember, you can get every episode of Romaniacs a day early when you sign up to support us on the crowdfunding site Patreon. Support our valuable work with a small contribution and we'll send you every episode as soon as it trundles off our high-tech robot-assisted podcast assembly line. (laughs) We very much appreciate your support and of course you'll get stylish merchandise like mugs and t-shirts and early bird access to tickets to our live shows and a weekly column written by one of our panel as well. Search Patreon Romaniacs for more information or just go to the Romaniacs Facebook page. And we will see you at the People's Vote March on Saturday.
0: Thanks, Nina. Now, let's try to read the scattered tea leaves of the week's (laughs) Brexit news. Firstly, it's crunch time again for Brexit. As Theresa May (laughs) tried to rally support around what's left of Chequers, tensions ran unexpectedly high at the weekend when it seemed suddenly possible that the government and the EU really were going to do a deal. Dominic Raab, the father Dougal of Dexiu, un- unexpectedly flew to meet <laughs> Michelle Barnier in Brussels on Sunday night amid reports that the deal was all but done. And then in a single bound, it wasn't. And they would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that meddling Irish backstop. Meanwhile, the Brexit extremists are conspiring over pizza. The DUP says it will paralyze May's agenda if she makes Northern Ireland in any way distinct from the rest of the UK. And senior EU sources are saying that the chances of Wednesday's summit making any difference at all
3: are significantly diminished.
0: Ian, firstly, what the hell happened at the weekend?
3: (laughs) We're not sure, really. There's lots of different theories. I mean, one of them is that it's all pure theatre and just done, you know, in order to create the kind of timeline that we were discussing now about later. And... I don't think that is 100% the case but also it's possible for there to be genuine fallings out and misunderstandings which I think there were but also for both sides to think it doesn't ultimately do any harm if, if, if this happens anyway because we mm. still have the, according to our internal timetable is more luxurious than the external one as we make it out to be um, it's possible that Theresa May, that Ollie Robbins thought he was authorised to uh, make suggestions that Theresa May had either not understood when she gave to him or that he had got the wrong end of the stick on um, or it's possible that they really have fundamentally misunderstood what the backstop is, because when they started, Downing Street tried to resell the backstop on sort of Sunday night Monday, as we'll look. The EU have added a, an extra backstop, which applies to Ireland, only Ireland rather than the whole of the UK now. I don't believe that they have misunderstood it that badly because that is just what the backstop is. is I mean, yeah. exactly, what yeah. they're calling the actual backstop mm-hmm. is their future relationship proposal, which would mean that the backstop was unnecessary. I know that it's impossible to talk about this without just feeling like you're getting lost in this Kafkaesque nightmare <laughs> world of <laughs> completely you. meaningless jargon. But, but um, this stuff does have sort of real meaning to it to a certain extent. Uh, not, actually, I should, I should caveat that. Not empirically in the real world or according to the rules of logic, but it does have PR meaning to it. Right. And that's essentially the language so that it's you need like to the be rules the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. They exist
0: within the world and the reality of the game, the conceit of the game. Yeah. So if you throw a hexagonal dice and it lands on backstop, yeah. it's a, effectively. It's
3: like the shittest game of Dungeons and Dragons of all time. And that like, is a pretty low bar. It's not sure. just Dungeons, it's, just no Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, and I interrupted you there with trying no, to. No, well, that's pretty much. You yeah. know, so we don't know which of those outcomes it was. We, we, I think we have a clearer idea now of where we are. And the suggestions that are coming out at the moment, which seem to be coming from Barnier, um, I think are pretty. Uh, start to suggest the outlines of how something might be done. And that's mostly about. What if we try to deal with the backstop by adding a bit more time to the transitional period? And what if we tried to put some kind of legal linkage between the withdrawal agreement, which is the divorce bit, and the future relationship part? Mm. And that covers the two areas of concern, which is time. What if there's a gap between the end of the transition and the implementation of a new deal, which there fucking will will be be, of many years. Uh, And and the other part is, how do you control for whoever takes over from May, whether it's Jeremy Corbyn or Mm. Jeff mogg or whoever the hell, deciding they want to have a completely different future relationship that would mean that the backstop needs to be triggered. So that idea of consistency of the British desire for what the future relationship is and taking care of the time problem would potentially be covered by the kind of proposals that are coming out right now whether they are palatable in Westminster is another matter entirely. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Naomi, mentioned earlier that the DUP were unsurprisingly intransigent here. They let it be known that there will be guerrilla war against the backstop whatever kind of backstop uh, it may be and that the Irish border plan could destroy power sharing for good.
2: Mm.
0: So what do we need to know about this?
2: <laughs> <coughs> well, I mean you know, it's. I think I've said it on this podcast before that the DUP want alignment with the UK. They want to leave the EU and have no difference between how Northern Ireland is treated and the rest of the UK. Because they love alignment, except definitely not on gay marriage, (laughs) (laughs) on abortion (laughs) rights, on employment rights, you know. So, yes, they are, you know, this this minority party with a minority viewpoint that have overplayed their hand and are really effectively being allowed to dictate the terms of of the Brexit deal at the moment Mm. Um, and... And you know, power sharing. I mean, look, come on. How long has Stormont been suspended for now? Two years already. Yeah. Five years before that. Um, you know, they're not in a in a yeah yeah. They're just they're 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 they're, they're wanting their cake and eat it. Um, but you know, they have always been clear on this. So when we s- talk about you know it, whether she can sell that deal in Westminster, it's whether she can sell it in Belfast.
0: You almost imagine it's a bad idea to think you could treat a narrow group of unrepresentative unre- extremists as if they run the country. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't think of any conti- conti- contiguous examples of this. None, right, no. Right now. Yeah. Nina, we mentioned this a, a moment ago, that the idea that uh, Sunday night and uh, Rob's exciting journey mm. was theatre. Do you think it was primarily theatre to raise the stakes to and make it more likely that a deal is signed?
1: I think it's a bit of both. So I think it's quite plausible that you know some Brexiteers are too stupid to realise what they kind of already signed up to in December and the truth of what the backstop actually means is hitting them. And I think there, of course, is a bit of optics involved in making sure that Theresa May can pass this domestically. Um, I was talking to some friends about, you know, what does this actually mean? Where is it taking the UK in the future? And kind of my view on this is that, Basically, the UK will sign up to some kind of deal and we can put the wording around the backstop in kind of like a Russian stacking dolls type scenario Mm -hmm. where it becomes ever more uh, complex and and not clear what it means and people kind of take what they want from it. But essentially, the UK will kind of end up in a customs union ad infinitum. The next part, you know, the next question about like, when is the next crunch is obviously going to be around 2020, 2021, Mm -hmm. when the transition Transition ends. ends. Mm -hmm. Guess what? The UK is going to be facing a cliff edge. That's, again, I think people sometimes forget that this part of the negotiation is just the withdrawal agreement, yeah. which just mm. we haven't even started talking about future relations. And given mm. that the withdrawal agreement mm. has taken us two years of repeating the same arguments again and again. in um, you know, two years after we've left, it's going to be the same thing. And the EU still has something on its side. It has the power of 27 versus one and it's got time pressure. So I think this process where we see the UK basically buckling and then like Saritza in 2015 in the Eurozone crisis, basically... Uh, Taking the EU's position, I think, is going to continue. So then, you really ask yourself the question: If the UK is going to remain in a customs union, add infinitum, of of this? what was the point? Yeah.
2: what I, was the point and, of this exercise? And, and <laughs> I have always argued that soft Brexit will probably just delay a harder Brexit because it won't appease all of the people yeah. who
0: exactly. wanted to
1: Brexit in the first place. Exactly, everyone's going to be unhappy.
0: Well, they they can be like me then; unhappy all the time. <laughs> One X factor that was kind of thrown into the into the into the pond, the rippling pond, this week was um, the sudden uh, impending fall of John Burko which, uh, you know, initially, when you're kind of um, naive like me, you look at that and you go, well, what's that got to do with Brexit? But as Naomi pointed out, it's actually got quite a lot to do with Brexit.
2: Yeah, and so uh, he, well, the role of the Speaker can rule motions being in and out of order. They have a huge amount of uh, power uh, over parliamentary process. And we are in a period where parliamentary process and tinkering with it and the dynamics of it are exactly what everyone involved in this campaign is trying to do, whether they are trying to stop Brexit or trying to make sure Brexit happens. People on all sides are politicking and using every weird bit of uh, parliamentary procedure to get things to go in the, their way. There is a pretty received wisdom that uh, there will be a very, very strong push for Burko to be replaced by a, a very strong lever, although I know that Harriet Harman and other people have sort of thrown their hat into the ring, but with every one of Those, then you've got one less vote on your side in a meaningful vote, or you know, in in the various um, votes that we know that are going to happen over the next (laughs) few weeks with all of this. So. It's a case of being careful what you wish for. You know, I I want Harriet Harman's vote. I I need it. I need to make sure that Labour are voting down uh, the government deal. But then again, I don't want a speaker who is likely to rule motions out of order against our favour.
0: This is one of the sort of uh, symptoms of a a political system that's in bad shape is that. The idea that there can be no neutrals and there can be no sets of clean hands. Everybody must have an angle.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the, the, the important point is really his view on Brexit. I think the important point is the extent of his independence, autonomy and confidence when it comes to interpreting the things that come to the House. Hmm. Now, he has shown over a long time that he's actually willing to stand up to the government pretty hard. In 2013, he put down a third amendment to the Queen's speech in favour of basically in favour of the Brexiters at the time, saying, why isn't there any referendum bill here when you said that there would be? Now, that was constitutionally unprecedented, but he did it. Now, the expectation then is that if we get to the end of this, everything's been voted down. And just imagine that in sort of January, February, the government is trying to push through no deal. According to the law now on January 27th, they make a neutral Uh, motion to the commons going there is going to be no deal what that motion will really say is a debate has been held on this now constitutionally that should be unamendable. However, to buy off Dominic Grieve and others, the government explicitly said it's the Speaker who makes the decision. That was already constitutionally true, but it opened the door for a very confident Speaker, and there'd have to be a very confident Speaker, ideally a Speaker who was about to step down anyway, as he is going to in the summer, yeah. to go, well, the wording of this motion is less important than the intention of this motion, and therefore I think that it is amendable. And if it is amendable, you could have MPs saying to the government, you must go back to the drawing board. You must at least." involve you know involve us in this other aspect you must have a second referendum you must hold even a general election that that opens up doors Mm -hmm. to how things could start operating i don't think it's hard to imagine anyone else in that position especially someone starting out their time as speaker taking that call i do believe that john burko might take that call now consider from just the amount of vitriol and hatred that would be directed at Mm -hmm. you. you need a very specific person at a very specific time in their Mm -hmm. career he's that guy and part of the reason that this week in the Commons, you saw Tory backbenchers standing mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. acting like they gave a flying fuck about now, bullying, bullying. was specifically exactly. because they saw that eventuality yeah. coming down the coming yeah. down the rails, potentially being a problem for them, yeah. and that's why they were trying to remove him.
2: And that is not to say to any listeners that we don't think that bullying needs to be sorted out in the House of Commons, that it is a dreadful place to work at the moment, that we need to do much more safeguarding. So I just want to be really clear that we're not saying that, no, that, not. that all of that well, should it's,
3: it's as Jess Phillips said, which is ultimately, it does mean that the thing doesn't matter but you guys over there do not Stop give a shit about this thing exactly. exactly and if you really gave a fuck about it you wouldn't be playing politics with it in the first place
2: Just phillips the speaker <laughs> <laughs>
0: Moving on quickly. Are the police stalling their investigation into alleged cheating by the Leave campaign because of, quotes political sensitivities? That's what the investigative website Open Democracy alleged this week. Uh, pushed on why there had been no progress on the investigation, a Scotland Yard spokesman admitted there were issues of political sensitivities that had to be taken into account. Conservative MP Damien Collins, chair of the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee demanded to know why the Met had failed to launch a formal investigation. They weren't so worried about political sensitivities when they kicked down Damien Green's door, he said, referring to the two 2008 Home Office in mm. leaks investigation. And meanwhile, connecting with something we mentioned earlier, the Meta said it will not investigate Russian meddling in the referendum because international bodies and states cannot commit criminal offences under electoral legislation. Interesting thought there. Naomi, one hesitates to say uh, the sky is falling, but if the police are too scared to investigate alleged crimes because of political sensitivities, do we really have a properly working system of law?
2: No. <laughs> and we, Well, I mean, we do, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's just this absolute... Terrible state of of our democracy. Um, I should just say massive hats off to Adam Ramsey at Open Democracy, Mm -hmm. who's been plugging away at this story for months, if not years, daring to expose what other people couldn't or wouldn't or or, or whatever. Um, And we absolutely should get him on the show, actually. Um, And remember, he exposed the DUP. Uh, this is a bit of a Northern Irish-themed podcast today, but yeah, <laughs> he exposed the DUP shadowy, uh, I think it was 435,000 uh, in dark money that was mostly spent during the referendum um, by the Leave campaign on a massive advert in the Metro. And the Metro isn't even distributed in Northern Ireland. It's only on, on the mainland. Um, uh, we've also now had 77 MPs' rights to the head of the National Crime Agency and the Met Police uh, asking them um, about this. Pressure of political sensitivity and, and the pressure that they're under. So I, I guess we have to sort of wait and see uh, what comes out of that. But you know, I, 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 I it is very disappointing. It's been five months yeah. since it was referred, Ian, and, and the political sensitivity. Yeah. Just, just to add, you know, we we do know that you know one of the people who's been referred to the police for investigation works in number ten. You know, this does go right to the door of oh. the prime minister herself.
3: Ian, you are making disagreeing noises there. It, no, I think all of that's true and it's dispiriting and they're making the wrong judgment. But, you know, we just have to keep the... We do still have a functioning system yeah. of law <laughs> in this country, yeah. which will, you know, survive the police's ineptitude one way or another. I mean, I think it's useful, that comparison that he made with the way they behaved over Damien Green, which is just completely overhanded uh, policing, which didn't have any kind of constitutional respect yeah. or any just kind of... Uh, sensibleness about the, the way in which they conducted themselves about the process, and sometimes they get it wrong the, the other way. I, I don't think it's a conspiracy. It's just it's a bad judgment. W- what I found a bit concerning was that second part where he said, um, according to sort of electoral law, we can't do anything against foreign actors. And you think, well, the thing is that foreign actors would be operating through domestic bodies, you know, w- yeah. whether it was someone connected with the Leave campaign or otherwise. So you don't go, we're going to try and put Putin in the dock. Mm. What you do is you say, well, what are the connections that they would have made through yeah. deals, through financial deals or anything else with, dom- with domestic individuals or organisations? Okay. And those have been discussed. So there is no reason for them not to be pursuing that. And it's troubling that they used a constitutional uh, well, a sort of a legal excuse, which doesn't really seem to pertain and which no one which understood the stuff would thought did pertain.
1: And and the reality is that debate has to evolve as realities are changing. So not only has it been proven that there was Russian interference in the Brexit referendum campaign through domestic bodies, but they're also able to intervene in information spaces that did not exist, you know, before. In specific, I'm talking about social media. Um, You know, I've. Again, I'm working with the former NATO Secretary General and we've looked at the disinformation around the Brexit referendum campaign. And politically, there has been a kind of kickback, like we don't want to know. We don't want to open that can of worms. It's very difficult to quantify, you know, whether it swung the referendum or not. But that doesn't change the reality that it happened and will continue to happen, not only in issues like... the Brexit referendum campaign, and not only by actors like Russia. I mean, Iran, China, the rest of the kind of autocratic world is looking. And if you consider, I mean, I'm working right now on the kind of technology developments that are absolutely going to upend this. So we're talking about fake news and people existing in their cognitive dissonance chambers. Just down the line, you know, AI power technology and something called deepfake Mm. is going to be able to computer generate Fake audio and video to a degree that is undiscernible from the real thing. So you can imagine if you live, people live in these cognitive dissonance chambers and they're plugged into social media, um, your reality, which could be a fake reality, becomes what you believe. So absolutely, the law has to evolve to be... Uh, represent, to understand the fact that foreign actors will intervene in highly politicised and polarising political events like this in in our democracies.
0: I think it's that phrase, political sensibilities, sensitivities that Mm -hmm. made people's alarm bells go because the idea that that should be introduced Mm -hmm. into the consideration at all is kind of worrying, isn't it? I mean, we don't look at political sensitivities in any other context.
3: Let's be be realistic. okay? Um, so and this is not a good thing, but police forces Mm. listen to what politicians say. If you get a prime minister that comes in and goes, the main thing about my administration is going to be I'm going to do a crackdown on drugs, you will find that police chiefs say to the guys, guys, go out there and get me some drug busts and and prioritise drugs over burglary or whatever. And so that has always been the case that there is a bendy relationship there. It isn't good, but it isn't new.
2: And and in the case of the Met, the co- Head of the Met is Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London. Mm, yeah, you know, he yeah, is the co-head of mm. of the Met Police. Uh, he is obviously an elected politician. You know, and so I'll be <laughs> very interested to see if he wades into this debate or not, given that you know it's the Met that. Uh, are being asked to look at this. Well, there so is a
3: real failure here, which is which is that, OK, so you've got it on policing. We've got it, I think, at a regulator level. When you look at the way that the Electoral Commission has behaved, I think from anyone's perspective over the last few months, over the last couple of years, whether it's on the Remain campaign or the Leave campaign, you just think, you have not been getting this done very well, guys. They've had to be mm, pushed into yeah. stuff. Once they've been pushed into it, they don't seem to have quite gotten it right. So there's an argument, I think, for root and branch sort of change to the way the Electoral Commission operates. You're getting it politically where I feel like Remainers have been pretty sanguine and pretty controlled about saying, look, clearly there was interference, we're not in a position to say that that's what what won the campaign but there are reasons to be alarmed Mm -hmm. and we haven't seen that reflected in the Brexit side of going, look we see that this this happened to be in our favor in this case where it seems to be that way nevertheless next time it might not be and we need to start fixing up against any kind of foreign intrusion there's a real failure across the board of which policing is a part do you think and that that's oh, go ahead Neil, just
1: to add another point the the point of this interference is also procedural so it's to undermine faith in democracy so when we looked at the US election in 2016, we saw the Russian kind of interference pushing messages both in favor of Trump, but yeah. also in favor of Sanders. So it's the, the massive whole, disruption. The whole point yeah. of it is to cause chaos and disruption. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing has happened in the United Kingdom around Brexit. But also you see interference p- pushing pro-Corbyn messages, pro-Remain uh, messages, pro-Brexit messages, because you yeah. basically want to divide the electorate. And this has to be acknowledged in the mm. public debate. You cannot... Yeah. I know it sounds scary, but like this, you cannot begin to regulate um, an uh, electoral process nor actually have a sensible conversation about democracy and the kind of divides we see in our country right now without acknowledging that this kind of activity exists.
0: Well, as I feel like I say, after every single story we talk about on this show, this one's going to come back to haunt. <laughs> Shall we have five minutes to look at the uh, the last round of uh, no deal notices? Uh, you know, they may take our what lives... What fun! Yeah, what fun! <laughs> they may take our lives but they'll never take on Netflix. <laughs> Friday! <laughs> Friday was a good day to bury bad news. What day isn't a good day to bury good good news because every day is awful these days? The government chose Friday to release Mm. the final 76 Brexit planning notices. and They were as cheery as as expected. Amongst our favourites, Eurostar travel between London, Paris, Amsterdam and Brussels could be disrupted in the event of no deal. And you'll have to sort out your own insurance and ticket terms. The government's not going to be looking out for you. You may have no legal protection on buying products and services from the EU. There will temporarily be no checks on high-risk food or animal feed from the EU. After 29th of March, if there's no deal. Northern Ireland's electricity supply from the public could be cut off. And you may no longer be able to access your Spotify, Netflix, Apple Music or other music and film libraries on holiday. Nina, how are holidaying families going to survive without being able to tell the kids to shut up and watch Captain Underpants? <laughs> how is, this is surely going to be the breaking point. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a grim prospect, isn't it? I mean, I, I was uh, Brec- Britain is basically just going to be the country of Brexit, uh, disruption and royal babies. I mean, can you ima- <laughs> can, can you imagine everybody sitting around King's Cross, you know, with their crying children. I mean, it's it's these are the type of things that are really going to be felt by regular people, you know. If you can't use Spotify, yes. you can't use Netflix you can't use your international roaming for free, I mean yeah. that's when the crunch really hits.
0: But we'll have but, British Netflix and you'll be able to watch the good old days. I think we
1: have to have a
2: trial <laughs> run we have to have a trial run because as you quite rightly said, it will hit them but they yeah. don't believe that it will yet yeah. and until they feel it they won't really believe it. And by then, it's too fucking late. So I think we have to have like Brexit Fortnight, where everyone gets <laughs> to see what Try is it. actually going to be like. You buy.
0: Exactly. That would have been a really great idea. Yeah. That would been like, we're going to do Brexit Fortnight and see what you think. You're going to have nothing on Telly but the black and white minstrels and see what you think. <laughs> <there>. <laughs>
3: There was a paper as well, for the finally, on um, third-party trade deals, which I, I just want to pop the bubble of fun that was <laughs> going around the table and yeah. just bring it back to some kind of terrible Thanks, hellhole yeah. of tedium. Yeah. yeah, So they've been saying for ages this wasn't going to be a problem. Liam Fox assured us he'd be able to flip these over whenever he chose to pay any of the mildest attention to it. Finally, the paper came out saying that isn't the case. Now, there's about 40 of these deals with about 70 countries. It covers about 12% of our trade. What that, what that is is that's all the trade we do with non-EU countries through EU deals. This is on things like public procurement, on intellectual property, and of course on stuff like tariffs. And what it said was, we could have done what the mm. fuck what, what can we possibly fucking do mm. because of course you know you get no deal you haven't arranged it with them even if there's a deal this can be a problem because all we've got right now is the EU saying we agree with them that we would rather you guys rolled it over no fucking guarantees whatsoever that they will actually do that yeah. and in many cases it's, it's a, a very uh, disadvantageous position for those countries to be in to suddenly have to roll over something which has changed and may not even be legal for them to do that given that the conditions of it have changed from the ones that was presented to parliamentarians in whatever country they're in at the time. This is a massive problem and if those deals can't be suddenly done in what? February. You know, in two, three weeks you know, that you're doing, then you have to go into WTO terms and Mm -hmm. WTO terms, as we said many times before, is you cannot discriminate in your tariffs. So if it goes up on one, it goes up on all of them. If you put it low on one, you put it low on the others and that's the kind of cack-handed, chaotic horror story that is presented to you when Liam Fox so smugly in front of the Tory party conference is going, oh, it's fine, mate. It's fine, mate. I could do that in my slippers. It's like, well, you have fucking failed, mate. And now the evidence is there. And of course, noticed by almost no one.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just like, let's reiterate that. What the international department, the trade department has been doing for the past two years is trying to maintain the existing trade deals. they're just trying to roll it over so I'm sorry Liam Fox but he might have to retire his yacht Brexitania which was meant to sail the high seas (laughs) in favour of trading opportunities there is no way that's happening and given um, that I think we're going to end up in a customs union ad infinitum I don't you know that means that it would never happen
3: he's increasingly this fascinating (laughs) psychological object to me because he he stands there he didn't quit on that day that day David Davis and Boris Johnson Uh, quit. He stands there every day when the announcements come out, say on customs and tariffs or whatever, or say on maintaining regulatory standards. What they're doing is they're making it completely impossible for him to ever do his job. Because you're never going to get a a UK trade deal that doesn't involve us lowering our tariffs or our regulatory standards in order to secure penetration of our financial services. That is what they will entail. If they take away all of his leverage, he can't do it. He would fucking fail anyway. (laughs) But he definitely can't do it if they've taken away all the levers. And he just keeps standing. You just think... Why are you still there, mate? Do you not understand that your job has effectively ceased to exist? And yet, he's still there. It's amazing. And actually, the embarrassment that I presume he feels when he's alone in a room... Almost makes up for the fucking horror story that my life has become as I have to read about this shit every day. I don't think.
0: Like, I think you're uh, overestimating his ability for shame and embarrassment. No, fair because point. Because you don't get fair to point. be there. You don't get to be that yeah. person with any. If if you had any capacity for shame, you would have shrunk down like a crisp packet on a radiator <laughs> on top of, on the stove. So if nothing. You would have vanished into. Did you
3: have to take that away from me, man? That was like uh, one of the only uh,
0: glimmers of joy I had. Like. Never mind. <laughs>
2: there was also one other pretty egregious thing that they sort of slipped out last week, and again in another. Another week, it would have had a much more media exposure than it did. Um, But that was an announcement about EU citizens' rights, um, which up until that point it had been guaranteed there'll be no change to your rights if you're here before Brexit day your rights are guaranteed 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 as you've got them now they'll, they'll be as they are uh, and then last week it was, it was made pretty clear that actually that's not going to be the case and one of the big things that hits them is family members being able to join them mm. so you know you might be uh, from uh, you know France you've lived here for 30 years and your mum who still lives in France has a stroke and you actually want to bring her over here to look after her not going to happen not going to be allowed to do that um, and so you know Again, a really awful story about how Brexit is actually going to hurt people's lives.
0: Great fun. Now, I know I said it was a no-guest week this week, but actually, we
4: have got a surprise guest. Hello. Hello, my name is uh, Pierce Smith, and I'm from Our Future, Our Choice, NI in Belfast, so I've got a funny accent. I hope you're OK with it. It's that. not a funny <laughs> accent. <laughs>
0: Special hint. Stop banging the table. I know you're very passionate. Oh, sorry. We'll oh, bang, bang, bang. We we'll have to say that to everybody. Now, uh, thanks for coming in. So you're, for, you're part of OFOC. Oh, yeah. OFOC, oh, Northern Ireland. Yes. Now, we have been, and and uh, Naomi's doing a little dance here because mm. she grew up in Northern Ireland. I was did. Educated. <laughs> um now we have not had anywhere near enough young people and anywhere near enough voices from Northern Ireland on show. Tell me how you came to be involved in OFOC, our future, our choice.
4: Okay, gladly. So um, I'm only seventeen years of age, so mm-hmm. I was first introduced to OFOC through so back home, I'm a part of like a lot of political like participation groups for children's rights and children's young people and stuff like that. And with the Northern Ireland's Children's Commissioner, we actually done like a big massive event, our Brexit to Children's Rights, Children's Voices. From that event made a report Sent, went to Brussels with it, went to London with it, and then I thought that was it over and done with, and then got an email saying, oh, this Lord wants to come meet you and talk about a people's vote, and I had no idea what it was at the time, so I met with Lord Andrew Adonis, who then had like other people with him, and then just exchange contact information, briefly talking through the implications of a people's vote, and I was like, perfect, I'm all for it, and um, then we got in contact with people from Our Future, Our Choice in the UK, mm-hmm. and then came and met with us, and then we... Sort of made our own wee subdivision and we're running it ourselves. Fantastic.
0: So. Yeah. No. Do you feel like I mean we oh, the Irish backstop comes up a lot on that okay. show yeah. and you know it, it remains mystifying even to us. Kind of see him here. <laughs> what, well, I was about to say you know from your point of view as you see the process unfolding, do you th- do you see that the, the issue of uh, Northern Ireland's border with Southern Ireland is getting enough attention because it tends to be treated by people like Reese Morgan as a little bit of a detail that's happening somewhere over there, but we needn't worry about it.
4: Okay, so Rees gets isn't alone when he's talking about that. So we've met with uh, our representatives in Westminster with the DUP, and they <laughs> say, "Oh, it's just these are a lot of ifs. Don't worry about it; it'll be fine. Just keep kicking the bucket down the road." But the Northern Ireland border, um, it it's in a lot of the headlines. or BBC, like it's always, it's always. I'm sure you're fed up listening to it. And you don't care because we're over there, but um, I don't think there's enough attention being brought to it you're with right. regards the. Emotional side of it, the social mm. side, the implications that sort of way, instead right. of legalities, because a lot more than legal. There's a lot more political stuff attached to it as well, and the history and stuff like that mm. from the Troubles. us.
2: And what about the the like cross community element of Oh Fuck Northern Ireland? Like, is is is, <laughs> is, say, is oh,
0: Fuck Northern yeah. Ireland? Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <sorry about> <laughs> is it? I mean, is Brexit the, an issue that kind of unifies young people across? Oh, Catholic uh, Protestant divide.
4: Yeah, 100%. So, um, not even just a Catholic and Protestant divide that we have here, but even just all across Northern Ireland, from Belfast to Fermanagh. Uh, we've got people, no I. Um Sorry, <laughs> right now. And uh, yeah, so cross community, it, it does unify a lot of people. Obviously, with regards to anyone, they have their opinions on Brexit, whether they'd like to leave and stuff like that. But with regards to young people, when we're talking to them, um, it is cross community. People are just like, oh, yeah, we voted for Brexit but don't know what that means or I didn't vote for it so I don't really know what it means mm. all I'm hearing is that it's going to be bad, 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 bad. And we're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. <laughs> so.
1: it if- is there a sense of, um, you know, how do people in Northern Ireland feel that Westminster is handling this? Because, I mean, in the run up to the referendum campaign, the Northern Ireland secretary, Theresa Villiers at the time, was saying, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Technology will sort it out. Is there any sense of anger at Westminster or is this so polarized that, or complicated that people um, don't
4: really think about I it? I think in Northern Ireland, there's always anger at Westminster. But, uh, <laughs> right. um, with regards how Westminster handled it's like mm. well no one else is because uh, Stormont's down so mm. that's frustrating that's the most frustrating part so we're not too angry at Westminster so we're angry at Stormont and then our only representation are the D P and Lady Sylvia Herman which is an independent and D aren't representing the views of everyone in Northern Ireland not at no, all not no. by a long stretch of the imagination because in Northern Ireland people tend unlike Karen Bradley people she didn't know that people vote on a constitutional basis so like they always vote well, not always. It's a big factor when people vote, whether they're going to vote on a party that supports the United Ireland or for a party that supports in the United Kingdom. So you'd have the United Irelanders with Sinn Féin mm. and then you'd have Stan Strong in the Union with the DEP, as I'm sure you've had the pleasure of speaking to and meeting in Westminster a lot. So.
0: You'd be surprised. They're not really, they're not, they're not really taking that course, but, uh, I mean, you know, you're younger than the Good Friday, Friday Agreement. Yes. You know, your entire life it's been in, in force and there's a the possibility that this is going to break it. It's going to return us to a, a, a time you personally and your mates and your you know brothers and sisters have never known. How well, do you feel about that?
4: So with regards, never known. We know the we know the impact that it's had. We know the legacy that it's had. We all have parents. We all have grandparents. We know stories. Um, so personally, I do work with cross community groups like a, like trying to bring children from Protestant and Catholic background, get them playing together that sort of way, engaging in their cultures and identities because it's a very emotional issue. But going back to the troubles. 3600 people died during the troubles. It was 30 years of turmoil. Why would we ever want to go back to that? Mm-hmm. You got Jacob Rees-Mogg saying it's so off the whim. Oh, we just go back to like the mm-hmm. border checks back in the troubles and then just like well mm-hmm. that's bringing us back to yeah. probably one of the most regressive periods mm-hmm. in our history, so.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are people that are, you know, often sort of talk up patriotism and oh, you know, the British army and you know, well you you tell you know, wounded British soldiers, you yeah. know, that that actually, you know, they got wounded for absolutely nothing because, you know, peace doesn't matter anymore. We've torn it all up and, and you know, Good Friday Agreement can go to hell. So then they're, they're not even on message for their own tribe, let alone thinking about, you know, the greater good of humanity like yeah. us normal
4: people <laughs> Well, I would also point to the fact that um, uh, when you come to the Good Friday Agreement, like it, it, like as I said earlier, you gotta remember it's not just a legal issue; it's a very emotional issue. So even though legalities would have all oh, just people on the border, but like it, it it like then people have lives, they all have families, mm. and that's what's the, like families will be torn apart, there will be chaos. So yeah. it, it's more than just a legal issue, which we really want. That's what we're trying to push yeah. push in our future choice, and anyway.
0: I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, there, there are many futures that can come out of this. Obviously, yeah. we're hoping we can avert this. Yeah, <laughs> we're all on the same page. But there's, there are many varieties of Brexit that can go through. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we try to look ahead on the show occasionally. You know, what's this going to do to the p- political culture of Britain mm. if you know it goes through as a as a as a, a you know. The, the sort of check and start on relatively kind of hard Brexit that we've uh, that, that we think we're expecting. What do you think it's going to do to the to the culture, the political culture, and the kind of the kind of society in Northern Ireland? If setting aside the potential return of Troubles, if we get back to a situation where the British Isles and Northern Ireland are no longer part of Europe, what's it going to do to your kind of your generation's ability to do things with their own lives?
4: Well, with our generation's ability to do anything with our lives, like you can get any young person in the UK to talk, or any young person in the UK can talk about that. I've got lists, we've just mm-hmm. screaming from the rooftops, you're taking this away from me, the right to travel, right to live and work where you want, right to study and stuff like that. But with regards to political and social implications, um, Brexit, well, in Northern Ireland, Brexit was just another issue on top of many that divide the two parties. So it was just another one. It wasn't really a defining moment like I think it was in the UK, but I wasn't there, but that's the impression that I get. Um, so with regards... It was just like, oh, so DEP and Sinn Féin disagree on gay marriage rights, abortion laws and all, all all different sort of stuff. So Brexit was just another one of them. It was just another issue that was torn up into the green and orange politics, as we talk about. So unions to be orange, nationalist green, because um, that's just the way it always has been. So Brexit itself, although it'll have massive implications for people in Northern Ireland, it's not really politically defining because we've already had this tribal mm. mess forever. So mm.
0: Yeah.
1: You you, you mentioned that obviously the DUP is not representative of everyone, maybe not young people in Northern Ireland, but then you just were touching upon this. Do you think you'd see a return to uh, a movement in Northern Ireland where you want to reunify with Ireland long long term down the road?
4: Um, This conversation, uh, we've spoke to quite a few people and it was Maria McGuinness, who's Vice President of the European Union at the minute she's an Irish representative um, an MEP and she says, when we brought this issue up to her she was like, we should never mix the two conversations, the whole United Ireland, United Ireland the whole unification mm-hmm. um, aspect of like that could be added from Brexit, shouldn't be brought into it because mm-hmm. it's a different issue, it's a different matter it has its own history but we have run independent polls and when we asked these independent polls when in Northern Ireland, you have to be very because everyone's very political, so you have to be a uh, bigger sample size, geopolitical balance, and get it people from different political weight and stuff like that. And the findings were that if Brexit goes ahead, never mind a hard Brexit or soft Brexit, if Brexit goes ahead, 52% majority would be for United Ireland mm-hmm. and 39% outright at pros. So, Did although you it should that be t-
1: by age as well.
4: Yeah, we caught it by age, we, it, was it was very fair. Was there a
1: difference between younger people and older voters?
4: Um, unlike the rest of the UK, Northern Ireland wasn't very... It, like, it was slightly, with regards to age, you're more likely to vote for leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more, again, on the two green and orange issues, so it was more aligned to uh, unionist loyalists voting for leave, mm-hmm. and nationalist yeah. Republicans voting to remain.
0: Just finally, you've been meeting a lot of uh, MPs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's impressed you? Who, 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 who do you think gets it?
4: Oh, um everyone's been very receptive um, I'd say I'll, I'll tell you the one who I'd find least gets it because they're all very <laughs> brilliant, uh, that's what we really wanted yeah. 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 so it was a, a very informal in meeting and uh, we bumped into Hillary Benn so, oh. um, chairing the select committee for leaving the EU and briefly spoke to him about people's vote and the implications of people's vote but very much to- towing the party line when it comes to Labour so mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. It, Talking all of this, or oh, we can say in the economic area, or we want the general election. Where I and he says it'd be undemocratic for us to have another election, mm. and then he'd be like, just increase the democracy further have a people's vote. No, well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. But
0: yeah. yeah, I think he probably feels a bit imprisoned by the. Uh, oh, the dep- the don't election. get
4: me wrong, Hillary yeah. Benn was a fantastic. He's, he is fantastic. He's very good in speaking, and he like he knows the insides like no one else. But um, with regards us championing our calls for a people's vote, he's just like the perception is what's going to get people. So people perceive it as just like, oh, you have lost. You want another go? That's the issue. So,
0: Listen up Hillary, Ben, listen to the voice of youth. Piers, thanks very much for coming in. No
4: worries. Cheers, man. Thank you.
0: That was Pierce Smith of Oh Fuck Northern Ireland, which we're going to stop saying. Um, it's the People's Vote March on Saturday. Did we mention this? It's the People's Vote March. Mm-hmm. We're going to see you there. Uh, if we do succeed in pulling off a people's vote, mm. if it does happen, then that's far from the end of the story. We, we would then have to go on ahead and win the thing. But what does winning mean? And uh, That's assuming that an option to remain in the EU, EU will be on the ballot at all. So we thought we would take a bit of time to look ahead and war game two potential people's vote campaigns. One where it's a choice simply between deal or no deal we're going to call that the Noel Edmonds nightmare option, or one where it's a three-way choice between deal, no deal, or remain. Before we get into that, let's do a quick round. What's your top line if you were in charge? Nomi, you are in charge, so you get to go last. Nina, what are your key priorities? I mean, you have have your issues about whether this is the way to solve it, don't you?
1: Well, I think my issues are primarily around whether or not this is politically salient, because this has been such a divisive issue that if, you know, the referendum were somehow seen to be co-opted or stolen or turned over, uh, I just don't see how... For the next generation, you you kind of detoxify the debate around the referendum. And we're already going to be stuck in Brexit negotiations for like the next 10 years. So do we actually want this to play out in our political and civil life as well? So my top priority, if if we there was to be a people's vote and uh, Brexit were to be overturned, is... To acknowledge that there has to be some kind of psychological bloodletting, right? <laughs> oh, That's <sounds> a lonely. <laughs> uh, so it has to be. I mean, the the people because what you see is people hardening on both sides of the debate, and ideologues on whatever side of the political debate you are, you know, are just as bad as one another. Um, so you have to kind of, I think, just like the. Brexit campaign was very, very good at doing, you know, making Brexit all about the woes of society, right, which actually had nothing to do with the EU. have to somehow reach out to those people who feel so aggrieved that somehow Brexit has become the silver bullet to mm. all of their problems and they're so angry. You have to reach out to those people um, and you have to make sure that if there's a people's vote that those people don't feel left behind. mm mm-hmm.
0: Ian, suddenly you're in charge of tactics and uh, and strategy. What what's, what will be your approach to
3: this? I'm not very good at this stuff. I don't. I don't <laughs> doesn't I, matter. I no, don't... Neither is anybody else. No, well, I just because whenever government. it's whenever they get journalists in and they're like, "Oh no, how would you do a con-? you know like occasionally before like um, a convention speech by by like the party leader or whatever, yeah. a columnist will do a piece going and this is what they should say." And I just always think that's really embarrassing because i have always just like, "No, man, you're a fucking hack. Now act like it. You're not like a <laughs> like a you know go in, in for like for some kind of competition to." Be become a politician and i'm shit at it like i don't really like people and i don't have any particular empathy for them and i don't really like to put myself in their head so it's very hard for me to imagine what it is that they want to hear instinctively the only thing i think is just that you only win if you can with a straight face steal their slogan of take back control Mm. and that if that whether it's through the exact slogan or through the general messaging that seems to me to be the point where that would be a, a, a winnable campaign but that is based on nothing but my own prejudice. So your your slogan is take back take back control. Take <laughs>
4: back. <laughs> exactly. <Direction laughs>
3: yeah. Dollars, yeah. Take back control Wait, squared.
0: No, but you are actually planning it. So I mean yeah. what, what, you know uh, uh, can you let light in on the magic of I what mean,
2: okay, so uh, so many different parts of it are important. Mm. So first of all, who? Mm. Right, it cannot be the people that lost it for us last time. It cannot be same old tired voices that are part of the reason why we got to leave vote in the first place, because they've allowed, as Nina said, those the, those people to feel left behind and to kick back at the EU, when actually it was failed successive governments that have caused their their woes and 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 forced you know their their, their beliefs around a Leave vote. So, the the who is incredibly important, um, and uh, we've got to have a much kinder uh, version of everything. Um, we had some brilliant people on from Remainer now um, a few weeks ago who yeah. talked very importantly about that. And I think one of the only politicians that credibly does that is Caroline Lucas. Um, And I think she speaks very, very well on that issue. So I think we need more of her and probably less of anyone involved in any kind of coalition era, new... Labour era. I mean, yes, they can have, You know, they can be involved in in the background, but I think as figureheads, it's incredibly important that we don't tarnish ourselves with any of that. And then, you know, in terms of um, actually doing it, we've got a lot to learn from how um, Ireland ran their um, referendum uh, on on uh, reforming abortion. Um, it's around having proper citizens assemblies and town hall meetings and 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 going to people. Never expect them to come to us. Um, you know, the, the sorts of people that we need to talk to don't watch Newsnight and listen mm-hmm. to the Day Today programme and the 10 o'clock news. They're watching the One Show. They may be watching Victoria Derbyshire. They're, they're reading the local supermarket shopper and they're and they're on social media. So, you know, the channels are important. The messenger yeah. is incredibly important. And, and as Ian said, the message around, you know, this: if you want to have control over your own lives again and you want Brexit to stop, actually the only way to, for us to never ever have to talk about any of this again is to get a Remain vote and actually stay in and crack on with the rest of our lives.
3: Can I do a gentle question on the on the voices thing, which which I, I get? Like, I get that like the image of Tony Blair, the image of Nick Clegg these are these are for a lot of people really toxic things. What what affected me during the the first campaign was that when Leave split in two every political journalist went, oh, they're fucked. Because all of our, all of our historical memory is that a, di- a disunited party fails to win elections. You know, that's the thing that was always said. But in actual fact, it, it played quite well for them. Because mm-hmm. do you remember the way the Remain camp yeah. used to think that Nigel Farage was toxic? And, and they used to talk about him a lot. If you want the country run by Nigel Farage, which, by the way, it turned out to be one of their not-Project Fear warnings, because that's essentially what happened. That's happened yeah. yeah. If you want the country run by Nigel Farage, then vote Leave. If you don't, if you want it run by adults, then, then support us. But actually, so, and that was true. I mean, people didn't like Nigel Farage But there was a message for them with Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, this is a serious grown up thing, you know, we're not, we're not lunatics, (laughs) a lie, but whatever, it worked. And then there was a message to the sort of nativist, really anti-immigration lot. And it didn't feel like they alienated one another. It felt like by letting a thousand flowers bloom, you had it. And I... Well, two uh, flowers, but yeah, flowers. You, yes, okay. And and flowers is a, a generous description. <laughs> we- but uh, yeah, letting a thousand turds blossom in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it it doesn't I I don't know why I think all of the stuff that you were saying about new voices, fresh voices, and especially sort of people who've gone who've who flipped back, but then also to have that backed up by more mainstream voices um, that people are more used to might might seem like it might work as well.
2: So. OK, so it is all about audiences mm. and, you know, the right messenger to deliver the right message and all the rest of it. But what we know is that, as Nina said earlier, the the, the electorate is hardening. And so that pool of persuadables, mm. they are not persuaded mm. by mm. politicians, mm. full stop. Mm. Mm. Very, very few. And very few celebrities work with them either. It's about local voices. Well, and that's let, what really mm. resonates with me. Let,
0: let, mm. Let's move on to that. One of those models, a three-way vote with Remain on the ballot. So it's no deal, accept the deal, or Remain entirely, which I... Th- I'm guessing is the one that we'd prefer, because at least it's got Remain on the ballot. Under that circumstance, you've got actually five groups. You've got accept the deal, no deal, and Remain. You're, you've also got didn't vote last time and don't know. And only and one of those groups is in, is in the bag, that's Remain, and three of them are up for grabs. So isn't that quite an optimistic way to look at things? You know, out of five groups, you've got one and three are available.
3: Well, especially because I mean, the ones that didn't vote last time are often because they were quite young and they yes. overwhelmingly remain. And the don't knows from the polling that I've seen recently. Break towards Remain very, very strongly indeed. Mm. So the expectations would be would be pretty positive, I think. Indeed. And
2: and also uh, in the the um, except the dealers on their second preference go for Remain as well. So if you had three choices oh, wow. on a ballot paper, mm. you would almost certainly have a preferential voting system, and it splits the Leave vote. so that was the Justine Greening uh, mm, proposal yeah. a few months ago, and you got pulled it really, really quickly, and basically Remain won because it split the Leave vote.
3: The trouble, of course, with all of these, by the way, is what does No Deal mean? on a ballot paper. Because... If it means you're making it illegal to pass any deal with the EU, you've just given up your ability to fly there because well, you need an aviation treaty.
1: I, I bet you there are quite a few people who would actually vote for that
3: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You can't even fucking now. fly. Yeah, exactly. Br- <laughs> out. out. Yeah, brick yeah. up the channel. No, I, I think, um,
0: I, I, but I, I don't think, I mean, I, obviously massive assumptions here, but I think it's unlikely that, that it would be legally binding that you can't make any deal. It would be we will leave the EU on the 29th of March with no, uh, with no, Further, you know, mm. kind of con- uh, contractual or sorry, treaty obligation. But that's
2: aviation. But, from a, no. but purely from a campaigning perspective, that is very, very troubling because, in normal parlance, no deal means you stick with what you've got, right? If you go mm. to a car dealership with your old banger and you want to get a trade in and you don't like the price, you drive away in your mm. old banger, you don't leave your car there and walk home. Mm. Yeah. So uh, it, it is just tricky to to yeah. put no deal on a ballot paper because people a lot of people will assume that that means staying in.
3: I yeah. guess you could put no trade deal, and I mean the electoral commission would have to batter the shit out of that. Yeah, legally they have to go through a whole process of anyway, battering yeah. it around before it can go on the ballot paper. And I'm guessing it would need further specificity than that, or else it would be a quite frankly insane thing mm-hmm. to put to on the ballot it. paper. <laughs> Although the fact that it is insane shouldn't stop it from happening. I know well, I mean, a thousand, yeah. thousand insane things happen every week, as we talk about regularly on the podcast. Well, before before we get
0: into the nightmare scenario of just straight up no Edmonds deal or no deal in a in a campaign for. A three-way ballot, a campaign for a three-way ballot. How do we, on the kind of pro-EU side, combat that argument that will arise that we already voted on this and we made our decision? How do we then get across to people that not only that they need to vote again, but they need to vote differently?
3: You know, the argument that has clearly been focus-grouped into oblivion, which is to say, well, now it's on the terms. You know, and Naomi, you've made this point a million times, which I think all of us said it. And I think it's an. I think that. Alex, the other day, called it an intellectually sort of undefeatable argument. I, mm. I think it is. Like, I think it's morally and intellectually watertight, which is to say, right, that was based on this proposition, which bears almost no resemblance whatsoever to the stuff that's being <laughs> discussed mm-hmm. right now. It wasn't like, would you like to have two Irish backstops? No one put that on the side of a bus. So now it would be, <laughs> you know, this, this is actually what it looks like. And to be honest... It is becoming clearer and clearer what it will actually look like under May's terms. When she's the checkers thing, which is obviously quite vague and impossible, nevertheless, actually gives you a fairly good idea as as to what things, mm-hmm. uh, at least, considerably more clarity than before, and enough of a moral reason to go, okay, well now you need to sign up to this specific plan rather than just the full unicorn that you got before.
1: Well, right. the FYI, uh, un- checkers is also totally unworkable. I mean, oh, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. which we've already talked about. But, um. but the answer to <laughs> yeah. people who twice, say it, it it's
2: under democratic isn't less democracy.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and mm-hmm. at of Britain we have tested to destruction what works and you know what? Final say resonates so much better than people's vote and that's why mm. we use final say, final say, final say, final say because it has finality. People are effing board of Brexit. We think we are because we have to do it day in, day out but the, the public are tired of it so they like the finality of that and they like the fact that it's getting their say yeah. because it shouldn't be up to the politicians it should be up to the people and that's what works.
0: Mm. Now what happens if, this, um, if the ballot is a two-way ballot? It's deal or no deal? It's accept whatever cobbled together um, sort of cut and shunt thing Theresa May has managed to get through Parliament or it's we leave on whatever remains of
3: WCO totally rules.
0: What what do we, as Remainers, do? Do we stay at home?
3: No, I mean, look, I'm not going to be funny about this. It, it will fucking hurt But you get out there and you campaign for a deal. I mean, it is the horror scenario. But let's be clear, on a, just a basic patriotic level... You do not allow no deal to happen to this country. Mm -hmm. Okay, like there is no exaggeration about the extent of what that involves and what it involves people on low incomes, on struggling middle incomes, Mm -hmm. what it does to the status of the country, what it would do to internal relations in this country. And if people think that it can't get any worse than this, it can get worse than this. Okay, Mm -hmm. so even in that scenario, and I'm not pretending that, you know, I I wouldn't feel sick to my guts to do it, Mm -hmm. you get out there and you campaign for a deal.
0: Yeah, and I suppose it depends on what the deal is. I mean, if the de- if the deal is you know, what would be described in the Telegraph as a complete capitulation and a total betrayal of etc, cetera, etc, cetera, fill in the blank, it might hurt a little bit less to campaign for it because if, if we're down to... You know, do you remember Brexit in name only, years ago?
3: Mm. I remember it, it very well because there's a good chance it will still happen. Yeah, mm. yeah.
0: It wouldn't hurt that much to campaign for that, would it?
3: I think there's a pretty good chance, by the way, that... So there's the two ways of looking at what, what would happen with May's with May's stuff I mean one of them is that it would all just completely collapse after a few years and we'd be out I I don't actually it's possible that there's enough hooks there especially if the legal part that relates to the divorce treaty is linked to the future relationship part and it includes that we sign up to regulations on process as well as outcome as well as customs, you then have a pretty good jumping off pad to go for, okay, fine, well, we'll include services as well, which the EU will make the condition of it, and we can expect the British government to capitulate to. And in that scenario, there's no certainty, it's uncertain, it's not where you'd want to be, it's nothing that you'd want to support or push for, but there would be a pretty damn good chance that you would end up in a very, very soft Brexit in about 10 years time. Okay
0: well this is obviously, we've only touched the surface of it on this. I think we're going to be returning to that particular issue of how we would run a People's Vote campaign or what how it should be run uh, in weeks to come. But well, th- that is the end of the show which means it's time for the Brexit time capsule. Nina, you've been away for a while but you like to put inside our stasis chamber of things we'll miss if we leave the EU.
1: I'm really going to miss a few standout Twitter accounts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I- I'm talking about the Irish border. You know, oh, who are you? Easy. I love you. You. You're a wonderful Brilliant, yes. And uh, I also like the Twitter account that's just called Has Turkey Joined Yet? And it just
0: says,
1: <laughs> No. Leave so, Means Lies no. is quite good too. Yeah.
0: I think they may well keep trundling along, yeah. those guys, you know. It's, it's entirely possible, but we'll put them in. And now it's time for a bit of a non English EU language to see us off. Here's a bit of German from Martin Terrian.
3: The Obelix sagte, die spin, die Briten.
0: That means, as Obelix said, these Britons are crazy. <laughs> There's a British coming. Yeah! <laughs> There's a British it's character in a... asterisk called Anticlimax, which is Brilliant. very Brexit, I, I think you'll agree. Uh, so send us your closing clip in any European language of your choice, except English, obviously. Just record something on your phone, keep it clean-ish, and email it with a translation to info at and we will use the best ones. And that's the end of the show. Thanks to Nina, Naomi, and Ian. Uh, Who's coming on the march then? I'm coming on the march. You are, Naomi.
2: Totally. And oh, just really, really last quick thing. We're going to do a massive training session straight after the march for anyone who wants to go back to their constituency and prepare for war. So just (laughs) email info (laughs) at vesselwritten.org to find out more about that.
0: Nina and Dunt, will you be there or are you going to be staying out of the... No. might. You okay. <laughs> come, come along and I'll buy you both a pint. Oh, I'll be there. Oh, there we <laughs> are, yeah. easily done. Uh, so we'll see you all there on Saturday. Uh, we're going to be meeting outside the Dorchester on Park Lane from about so 11.30 <laughs> noonish or something. The entire listenership's going to come.
3: All radical uh, movements have or, met outside of the Dorchester. Absolutely, Look. yeah. <laughs> Good enough
0: <laughs> from the levelers onwards absolutely good enough for Karl Marx good enough for me listeners don't forget you can get your episode of Romaniacs a day early if you support us on Patreon plus desirable t-shirts mugs and a weekly column by one of our panellists just search Patreon Romaniacs to find out more we're going to see you next time or on Saturday now here's our theme tune Demon is a Monster by Shop, and a salute to our latest Patreon backers
2: Hello and thanks from me to Chris Elston, Richard Sunley, Mark Bailey, Will,
1: that's just Will, and Ivan Moran.
3: Thanks from me to Joe Gilbert, Steve Ashford, Scott, Keith Brown, and Tim Lynch.
1: And hello from me to Chris Murphy, Cormac Flynn, Sergio Garcia, Mark Percival, and Tony Howarth.
3: And it is a major high five
0: from me to Nicholas Barnes, Marcus Pfeiffer, Jenny Smith, Declan Kelly, and Kit Allwinter. Many thanks, and we will going to see you all next week.
1: Romaniacs was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison with Naomi Smith, Ian Dunt, and me, Nina Shake. Audio production was by Sophie Black. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production. <laughs>